We're going to look this morning, kind of building off where we've been the last couple of weeks, talking about uh, uh, our redemption. Isn't it, isn't it neat uh, when God orchestrates things together uh, and, and puts them into a place where we can understand he's trying to drive something home in our life? And we've been looking for the last couple of weeks, starting with what it means to be redeemed. What does it mean that the God of the ages, uh, that, that he sent his one and only, only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die on the cross for you and I, to redeem us, to purchase us back to himself. And, and we've talked about redemption. We've talked about doctrine first, that when I understand those things, that it moves to practice, that when my heart is right with who Jesus Christ is and wants to be, then the practice begins to work itself out in my life. And what happens to us a lot of times is today we get caught up in the practice. We want to do things. We want to demonstrate to God Yes, we are faithful. And so our life becomes about doing rather than being. And what we've been called to do is to be in Christ. The Word of God says make the root good, make the tree good, and the fruit will be good. We concentrate on the fruit rather than the root. And what Christ challenges us to do and what John picks up on, and John, as we looked the last couple of weeks, said, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. This is, this is what it's always been. Concentrate on being in Christ. Jesus said, John records the 15th chapter of his gospel, uh, the, 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 the passage we know as the vine, if you remain in me and I remain in you, ask what you will. Those who have remained in me, abide, stay, keep the root good. And so that needs to be our focus in everything that we do, that we concentrate on being in him. And when I concentrate on being in Christ, staying in him, the work, the fruit just flows. It's something that happens. It's not the work that saves us. Cain and Abel both did religious works. We talked about this last week. Cain and Abel both did religious works. Cain brought some of the produce of his herd. Abel brought the first, the best of his crops. They both did religious works. They both participated. But it was the condition of the heart that made Abel's sacrifice acceptable and made Cain's sacrifice unacceptable. Not the content of the sacrifice, the heart. Cain had an evil heart. His heart wasn't in what God wanted him to do. He was just doing it because, not because he'd been changed. And remember, God gave him grace. God said, Cain, you get a do-over. You got a chance. Evil's there. You can choose to do what's right. Grace has always been God's plan. The cross is not an oops. The cross isn't a mess up. The cross isn't a do-over. God's plan has always been grace. And so when I focus, when you focus, when we concentrate on being in Christ, then everything else begins to flow out of that. And so this morning we're going to look at, at the second part of this message entitled, It's Time to Love Life, and, and what it means for us to join together with Christ 
through Christ in God and, and allow that redeeming work of Christ to begin to touch the world through us. If you have your Bibles open there, uh, to 1 John chapter 3, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, if, if, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please pray with me? Father, I, I come before you this morning, and, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to address you as Father. God, to know that, that you love us and that you sent your son Jesus Christ to the cross to die for the sins of the world, that we might know what it means to live a life being reconciled to God, being pleasing to God, not based upon what we do, but based upon what has already been done through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you are a God, a true God, the true God that loves us. And your love is based upon our acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. And God, that sacrifice in turn makes us able to love, not hate others. So God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us about how we live our life. And Father, that we would become not just uh, attenders of the faith, but God, we would become participants in our faith with you. God, that you are reconciling the world to you, making your appeal through us. Be redeemed. God, we pray that this morning in a way that would honor and glorify and exalt the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name this morning that we pray. Amen. We're going to look this morning particularly at verses 13, 14, and 15. We looked last week at verses 11 and 12 and what the Bible tells us about how we live life and how we love life. It's time for us to love life, and life is to be lived. It's to be enjoyed. It's not, it's not to be spent, uh, captured by bitterness or by pain and, 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 and allowing those things to rule. And the first thing that John challenges with this morning is that, that true faith distinguishes. If you and I have a faith relationship that is genuine and real, that has changed who we are, the Bible says that our faith will distinguish us. True faith sets apart those who are part of it. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, John writes and says, Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Now, John wanted them not to be caught off guard. He wanted them to understand that if they live this life of faith, if you and I live the life of faith the way we should, it will cause the world to hate us. They're going to be set apart. True people who are truly a part of the faith are going to look different than the world. And because you look different from the world, the world is going to hate you. John's word. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't let this be something that you weren't expecting or anticipating. And that word there for hate is a word that literally means to hate to the point of persecution. 
So what John says is that if you and I are living the life of faith the way we should, and he's talked about that in the first 10 verses, actually talked about that in the first uh, three chapters up till now, what it means to live that distinguished life, that when we do that, it will cause the world to hate us. And there were two reasons why the world hates true believers. Uh, First of all, remember John is writing to people who have come out of a pagan society. He's writing to people who were living in a very polytheistic, everything is a God, everything world. That's what they lived in. And so they've come out of this lifestyle. They've come out of the world, and they've begun to live a distinguished life. They're different. They're not participating in the immoral acts. They're not participating in in the pagan rituals. They're living different lives. And because they're living different lives, their friends see their life as a testimony And it convicts him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit does one thing in particular, which is to convict the world in regards to sin. How does the Holy Spirit convict the world in regards to sin? Through two ways. One, through the Word of God. Number two, through the life of other believers who are genuinely living their faith. And so here are these Christians living their faith in a separated, called out, consecrated. That's what the word sanctified means, separated, a separated way. They're living their faith separated from the world, not the way the world used to, not participating in things the world used to do. And because of that, their life becomes a light that God uses to convict their friends. And the conviction is not to punish. The conviction is to correct. The conviction is to redeem. But what happens a lot of times is instead of being redeemed, that non-believer will lash out in defense. So don't be surprised if they hate you. Number two, the second reason is because as you and I live the life of faith, we live the life of faith believing that one day Jesus Christ is going to come again. And that hope that we're going to have eternal life, that God's coming again, gives us the ability to deal with things now differently. We don't react the same way today. When things happen, if we're in the faith, we're living life of faith, we react to the world in a different way. And when we react to the world in a different way, we do that because of our hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that hope that we have in Jesus Christ has a companion idea, and that is the judgment. See, we can live in hope because we know that one day God's going to put all this right. One day God's going to restore. He's going to raise those who are in Christ, and he's going to judge those who are not in Christ. When we live our life of faith, it causes people who are not of the faith to think about something that they just soon not think about. They don't want to think about judgment. They, won't, they don't want to think about what's coming. They don't want to deal with it. They want to live life today for this moment. And so because of that, the Bible says they hate you. What's it mean for me? Well, if I'm readily accepted by the world, If the world embraces me, then maybe I really need to question whether or not I'm really living my life as a distinguished believer in Christ. If the world just accepts me, if there's no uneasiness, if they just can embrace everything that I do, if there's nothing that sets me apart, then I really need to begin to look at my life. And I I need to begin to ask the question, am I really living a life of faith? Am I really living a life that, that has set me apart? Am I truly loving the life that Jesus Christ has called me to in every single area? 
The Bible says that you and I are to be disciple makers. Jesus' last command in Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20 was, you know, very simply the great commission. Go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and know that I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We are to go and we are to make disciples. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to do all those things. And, and we focus a lot on the leadership that we're supposed to be exhibiting today to make disciples, to raise people up in Christ. But the other part of that, the companion part of that, is not just that I'm leading other people to Christ but that I am constantly reminding myself and others what it means to be a disciple uh, there, there's a guy uh, named um, uh, Patrick uh, Lencioni he is a, a business guru Christian business guru uh, written a lot of books about leadership and management and he says yes Christians ought to be focusing on discipleship and leadership developing other believers growing other believers he said but they also need to be the CRO and the CRO, not the CFO, not the CEO, they need to be the CRO. And the CRO is the chief repeating officer that we keep repeating to ourselves and keep repeating to, the, uh, to others, be reconciled to God, stay in Christ. And he quotes a couple of times in Scripture, one in, in Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, where Timothy is challenged, keep challenging and reminding the believers of this truth. And then again in 1 Peter, he says in 1 Peter, therefore I constantly remind you. You and I are to keep reminding ourselves and keep reminding others. The life of faith is supposed to set me apart. I'm supposed to be different. So am I truly living a life that distinguishes me from the world? It will. It'll set me apart. It'll be different. If I'm not being different, then I need to ask the question, why? What is it that's going on in my life? If I allowed the gunk to build up so that my witness is tarnished, or have I never truly entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, the second thing that John challenges us with here is that true faith defines. How do I know which one it is? How do I know whether it's just gunk or no faith. Well, John brings us out. Verse 14, this is what he says. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. 16 times in this short letter, 1 John, 16 different times, John uses the phrase, we know. John doesn't want us to wonder or to wander. He doesn't want us to wonder whether or not we're really in the faith. He wants us to know, and he doesn't want us to wander from the faith. He doesn't want us to let the gunk build up. He wants us to stay solid and true to what he is. So he says here, this is one of those times, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. And that word there that he says, we know this because we have passed. That word for past is a unique Greek verb. It is a past present tense okay and what it means basically is this uh, or past perfect I'm sorry not past present past perfect tense it means that it is something that took place we passed we crossed over but the effect and the consistency of that remains constant throughout eternity it happened and it continues that the practice of their life is continually in the faith they are passed over 
They have crossed over. And so what John is talking about here is the, the idea that the way I know I'm in the faith is that my life demonstrates love for my brother. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where I get angry with my brother. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where I go, mm, mm, with my brother or my sister or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your teenagers. It happens. But that the practice of our life, the habit of our life is love. That we go through those moments where we are friction rubbing and that they'll pass and we, we restore and we heal and we forgive and we act in love. That's what John's talking about. It's not that I don't get angry. It's just that I get over it. That the practice of my life is not hatred. And that word there for hatred is the same word that he says the world is going to have towards believers. So what John says, the way I know I've passed over is that the consistent practice of my life is to love the people who are part of the faith. That's a consistent practice. I get over it. doesn't mean I don't have those moments, but I get over them, and I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to be a part of the faith. I want to love them. I want, I want that to be. And, and the other thing is I don't hate them to the point of persecution. So it becomes evident for me that I need to begin to ask myself the question to make sure that the settled habit of my life is to love my brother and sister in Christ. Love secures. Now, notice, love is the result. Love isn't the down payment. They passed over. It's evidence of what's already taken place. I'm not saved because I love my brother. I'm saved because I've passed into eternal life. Because I've passed into eternal life, I love my brother. It becomes the evidence, the habitual practice of my life becomes the evidence of what's going on. What is the evidence in your life that you love the people around you? John writes, and basically he gives us four things, four questions that I can ask myself about my faith. They're, they're in the verses we covered so far in 1 John. 1 John 3, verse 10. Is it the practice of my life to say yes to God? Do you love your brother? Is it the practice of your life to say yes to God? Number two, is it the practice of my life to show love to others. Verses 10 and 14 of chapter 3. Is that the practice of my life? Not sometimes that I don't break practice. But is it the habitual practice of my life, consistent practice of my life, to show love to my brother or sister in Christ? Do I let things build up and, and, and hatred get there? Number three. Is it the practice of my life to experience the indwelling and guiding presence of the Holy Spirit? 1 John 3 verse 24. Is that the practice of my life? And then number four, the last one there, is is it the practice of my life to say no to sin? 1 John 3, 6. It's the practice of my life to say yes to God. The practice of my life to show love to my fellow brother or sister in Christ. The practice of my life to experience the guidance and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The practice of my life to say no to sin. 
Those four questions, how I answer those four questions determines whether or not I have truly passed from eternal life or from death into eternal life. And if, if it's not, if the practice of my life is to hate my brother or sister in Christ, if there's somebody in your life, in your faith, that you hate so much that, that if their house was on fire, you wouldn't dial 911? Or if you saw them with a, a busted tire on the interstate, you wouldn't even slow down. You'd look for a, a puddle to splash them. Or you pray God let their kids make bad grades in school and flunk out. Or you pray, I hope my, my enemy breaks his leg and it doesn't get all district honors. Or you just pray they get the flu. Whatever it is, if you've got somebody in your life that you dislike that much, that you can't get along with, that you can't restore a relationship with, you can't heal and forgive, these are not my words. This is what John says in Scripture. You need to check your heart. Because the Bible says it is the practice of my life to love those who are part of the faith. Period. And if I can't figure out a way to do that, you know, guys, why does the world look at the church and go, because we aren't listening to what Jesus said. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when we can't get along in the churches today, when we can't get along in faith today, the world looks at us and says, why would I want to be a part of that? Why, why would I want that to be a part of my life? You and I have been called to love each other. And, and we talked about this last week. Sometimes love means saying no. Sometimes love means saying that's wrong. Sometimes love means saying that's sin. Stop. Love doesn't mean everything goes. That's not love. That's stupidity. I'm supposed to say, no, here's the standard of God. Live your life according to that. I love you enough to correct you. I love you enough to rebuke you. I love you enough to hold you accountable. I love you. Period. And that's what faith's supposed to be. I went to the BGCT meeting this past week. I was there. I'm on the executive board for another couple of years. We had our meeting Monday and Tuesday. And on Tuesday, it's basically just a big four-hour business meeting, okay, on Tuesday. Monday, we get to hear about all the things that God's doing in Baptist churches and across the state of Texas and around the world. And I'm telling you, man, you're, every time you give a dollar to this church, we give a percentage of that to the cooperative program that literally ministers around the world. And I don't have time to tell you right now all the things are going, but I'm just telling you, 
Guys, you can, you can take joy in the fact that Baptists, Southern Baptists, Texas Southern Baptists are doing marvelous works around the world. Okay, there are a lot of things that are going on around the world. There are a lot of things that are going on in the state of Texas. God is doing great things through Texas Baptists, and you're a part of that. Okay, and those are things that we may not need to see the result of that. This side of the Lord, we're going to get to heaven one day, and somebody's going to walk up to you, and they're going to say, I thank you that you supported uh, a church that was part of Texas Baptist because Texas Baptist did this, and because Texas Baptist did this, I'm in heaven today because of what's done. So I want you to know there are a lot of good things that are going on. Okay, I, I, I'd be happy to sit down and tell you sometimes about all the stuff that's going on in Texas. And with Texas Baptists. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm joyed and excited, and, and I'm not going to say proud because pride goes before the fall, but I'm, I'm happy to be a Texas Baptist. Okay. But on Tuesday, we have a big business meeting, and business meetings are kind of like pulling eye teeth sometimes, okay, without anesthetic. They're not always the funnest thing. Well, on Tuesday, it was one of those days we got to vote on a, a resolution, and I'm not going into detail about the resolution, but basically it was to give our, our universities and our colleges, Baptist schools, permission to file for an exemption against uh, certain provisions in Title IX. Those of you here in the school districts, you know about Title IX and all the joys that that brings to warm your heart and all the stuff that it does. And, 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 and basically, our universities are now falling under that. They're part of that. And, and, and part of the Title IX stuff for federal funds that some of these students get to go to Baptist schools uh, means that they have to adhere to all the provisions of Title IX, which involves... Uh, homosexual students and transgendered students. That's what the resolution dealt with. And we were giving our universities an opportunity to vote or to apply for an exemption so that they don't have to adhere to things that violate Scripture. Okay, that's what we did. In the process of, of doing this, a, a pastor in Texas, Texas Baptist pastor, stood up and said, guys, I'd really encourage us not to vote for this resolution. And he said this, he said the reason is because every time we take a stand like this, it seems like we offend people. And we hurt feelings. And we get a black eye. And you know, we had a guy that was a part of our church and he came to our church every single Sunday and, and, and the problem was he was transgendered. Which means that he was a male in a male body but felt like he was a woman so he dressed like a woman to come to church. And everybody knew it. And he said, I sweated bullets every Sunday because I was afraid he was going to get saved and walk the aisle of our church, and I just didn't know how our church was going to deal with it. So I would think we don't need to vote on this resolution. Your pastor bit his tongue. It was just about not to bite his tongue when a guy in front of me made a motion that we call the question, because I was fixing to say some things that probably wouldn't have been very genteel. And and, in discretion, I seconded the motion that debate stop. And I did that because I felt like it was better for me not to say what I needed to say publicly. And so we voted, and the resolution passed unanimously, unanimously and, and, and all that went well. And Texas Baptist did what Texas Baptist should have done. But then I walked up to the guy afterwards, and I had a conversation with him. And basically, I, I, I told him I appreciated his expression and, and what he had done. But, but, you know, the Bible said, Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Guys, when you and I live the gospel the way we're supposed to live the gospel, the gospel's going to offend people. If my life's not offending people because I'm living the gospel, there's a problem. Now, I can be offensive by eating an onion. Okay, that's not the kind of offensive that I'm talking about. I can be offensive by being arrogant and stupid. I, I can do that, trust me. I know some of you know that about me, okay? I can offend people because I want to offend them, all right? That's not the kind of offense that I'm talking about. Our life ought to be so distinct that it offends people who are not a part of the faith. 
And I told him, I said, you know, we can't be afraid to offend people because of Jesus. We got we to do what Jesus tells us to do. Oh, I know that, but, you know, but Jesus hung out with those people. Those are the kind of people Jesus loved. I said, you're absolutely right. He did. He loved them, and he hung out with them. And I think we need to love them, and I think we need to hang out with them. But I think they also need to hear what Jesus told them, which was, go and leave your life of sin. Guys, love means telling people, this is sin. Stop. And, and he, he continued, and then I stopped him, and I said, you know, sir, I, I don't think you needed to be worried about whether or not that man got saved or not. I said, because if he'd have gotten saved, he said, well, I wasn't worried about him getting saved. I was worried about how our church would respond. I said, I don't think you need to worry about that. He said, why not? And I said, because if he had genuinely gotten saved, God has straightened him out. He's confused. And he's living in a world that tells him he's confused. And if he'll get saved, God will straighten that part out. You don't have to straighten it out. You don't have to adjust him. You don't have to tell him. God will straighten it out. God straightens out those that are his. And so our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is to love people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't talk like us, who don't dress like us, who need to know Jesus. That's our job. And the best way we can do that is to love one another. And and then the third part of what John says very simply is false faith, just like true faith distinguishes itself, he also says that false, false faith reveals itself. Last part, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Notice what John says. There is no middle ground. In or out. Light or darkness. There's no twilight. There's no partial sunlight. You're either in or you're out. No one who hates his brother is in. If a believer, someone who says they're a child of God, has hatred in their heart for a fellow believer, and the hatred word here is the word that means, same word, means to persecute, to hate to the point of detesting. If if, if you're here today, or if you're listening to my voice on radio today and you have hatred in your heart for someone who you say is a brother or a sister in Christ, whether that is a family member, that is a fellow church member, that is, that is somebody who lives in another town, that is somebody that you crossed paths with 20 years ago and you still hate them. John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. Hate equals murder. Jesus said at the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, 21st verse and following verses, if I hate my brother, I might as well have murdered them. Now notice the beautiful part. Notice what John doesn't say. John doesn't say murderers can't be saved. John doesn't say murderers are beyond grace. Paul himself said, I took part with malice in the death of the saints. And I, the chief of all sinners, was extended grace. 
Nobody. Not even the most heinous criminal mind in the world can outsin grace. Our job is to love each other and to show love to the world in a way that they want to be a part of what we have and a part of what we are so that their lives will change. If you and I have continuing burning hatred in our heart for someone else, it is evidence that we are not of God. You and I cannot harbor outright hatred in our hearts for another believer and believe that somehow we are walking in the faith. You and I have been called to love each other. We, that, mean, that means whatever it is, get it restored. If you're a child of God, and there is something, a situation like that in your life right now, there ought to be conviction in your heart that says, no matter what, I'm going to get this thing restored. No matter what, if it means i got to swallow my pride, if it means i got to get on my knees, if it means I need to repent, no matter what, I'm going to get this restored. I want to be right with one another more than I want to be right. If it's between you and your husband, you and your wife, between you and your kids, between you and a brother or sister, between, I mean, there, there are so many things today that we get so confused over and let the world tell us this is what we're supposed to do and we get our families torn apart and we dishonor godly memories over stuff. instead of being right with one another in everything that God says about our life. According to Scripture, if I have that kind of hatred in my life, I'm giving evidence of the, of the lack of faith. If you and I are walking around and we are constantly angry, we are barely holding it in, it's time to repent and to get on our face and to ask God for forgiveness and to be made right to be restored to everything that God wants. So what's God want? What God wants is God wants to heal marriages today. God wants to heal families today. God wants to heal hearts today. God wants to heal relationships today. The best way he knows how, the best way he can, he demonstrated on the cross 2,000 years ago plus when we didn't deserve it. His one and only only begotten, never duplicated son, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. And that's the love that he wants to show to other people. And that's what he wants to do in our lives with others. What's it mean? It means that I don't justify Pastor, you just don't know what happened. You're right, I don't. You're right, I don't. And I can't tell you anything about your life other than, than, than what you let me know, and, and I can only tell you about things in my life that I know. And, and, and I can tell you there have been a lot of things that, that have been done to me or said about me or happened to me over the course of my life, and the reality is none of them matter. i got to let them go. 
being right doesn't matter as much as being right being right with one another and, and it is a beautiful lesson that, that God has taught uh, Laurie and I through 27 years of marriage plus being right with one another is more important than being right it, it's a lesson that, that I've learned in parenting my kids and, and disciplining them sometimes when I was wrong and as a dad coming back to my kids and saying I need your forgiveness I was wrong and being right was more important than being right it's, it's something that's happened in my ministry before where I've been standing at the altar of the church in the invitation and the Lord has laid on my heart that there was somebody in the congregation that, that I knew we had a breach relationship. I knew that. And there have been several times that I've left the front and I've gone to a brother or a sister and said, we need to pray. We need to be right. Swallowing your pride and walking down the front of the church when people are walking or walking out the back of the church when people are walking in the front of the church, it's a tough thing to do. And I'm telling you, I am a, I'm a prideful person. But being right is more important than being right. So what's God want to do today? He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to reclaim lives and souls for his kingdom. And the only way that can happen is if I refuse to justify my actions and if I repent and seek above all else to be restored. What's he want? He wants an army. I asked you last week to begin to pray for the destruction of ISIS. And I told you very simply, I didn't care how that happens. I don't care if God leads our government to turn 5,000 Marines loose with these rules of engagement there are no rules or if he wants to cause the leadership of ISIS to get on their knees and the leadership of Boko Haram and the leadership of, of, of uh, white supremacist groups in, in, in Georgia and Alabama and, and I, guys be clear here okay let's be real clear God hates hatred period I don't care what color it is and I don't care what's used to justify it he hates hatred and I don't care how God chooses to, to reestablish his kingdom I, I pray it be through people repenting and get on their knees and, and I pray God begin to, to reveal himself and I hope you've been praying every day at 106 for those things for revival for, for God to destroy ISIS and for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray you've been praying for those things. And if you haven't, I ask you to join us starting today. I, you know, but I don't care how he does it. I know how I hope he does it. Well, can you imagine a testimony? If one of the leaders of ISIS stood up tomorrow and said, Jesus Christ appeared to me in a vision, and I've given my life to him. Now, I'll tell you what would happen immediately. He'd be martyred for his faith but what a testimony what a testimony if we begin to stand up and be as dedicated to our faith as those Christians today who are losing their lives 7,000 this year that will be martyred for their faith all around the world 
If we begin to stand up that way in our, our jobs, our communities, our schools, what a testimony. How's God want to do it? I don't know. But I do know he wants to raise up an army. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in the power of chariots and some trust in the power of horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are proud and they fall, but we will rise and stand firm. I don't know what you got going on today, but I know God wants it healed. God wants it restored. And the only way that's going to happen is if I repent. If I humble, if I bow, if I submit. God wants love. And he wants us to show love. So if you've got something today that you need to be healed, I challenge you. Repent. Confess. Be right. If you're here today and the honest truth is you don't know if you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, you don't know and you can't answer those four questions, do I say yes to God? Do I experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do I love my brother? And do I say no to sin? If you can't answer those questions, then I would challenge you today, before you leave here, get saved. Get that settled. Know that you know that you know that if you die today, you have an eternal destiny that you've passed from death to life. And that may mean you have to swallow your pride. It's better to be right than to be right.